This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 76. But it was in those early moments in my career that a leader had said to me, you're certainly not risk adverse. I have a high tolerance for risk, but there are always things that we should be unwilling to risk. When it comes back to our personal purpose and our mission, what are the things that we are unwilling to risk? So I did go through the exercise early in my career to really define what are the principles that I would never risk, no matter where my career may take me. The beauty of that is I've been able to spend over 20 years with Starbucks and never feel like I've had to compromise that personal purpose or those principles. At the heart of it, I think having those personal purposes or the personal principles enable you to really focus on seeking out roles and opportunities that will never compromise those personal principles, but enable you to grow, enable you to develop as an individual and as a leader. How can you align your personal purpose with your values? Why is putting people first not only the right thing to do, but also a great business strategy? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the importance of values and how important they are in creating a healthy and high-performance culture. In fact, research by the Institute for Corporate Productivity, also known as I4CP, on what they call culture fitness, have found that leaders in organizations that have very healthy cultures are three times, yes, three times more likely to frequently communicate organizational values to their teams. While it's important to communicate your values, you must also live your values and bring them to life each day. Luckily, this week's guest, Sarah Kelly, knows a thing or two about living your values. Sarah is the Executive Vice President and Chief Partner Officer for Starbucks. And in her role, Sarah is responsible for helping partners, which is how Starbucks refers to their team members, to realize their career potential and for building global partner capability to enable growth and help the company deliver their strategic plan. And as you will soon hear, Sarah started her career at Starbucks as a Partner Resources Coordinator in 2001 and since then has had an incredible career with the organization. And in my opinion, there are two things that have made Sarah's career so incredible. First, you'll hear about Sarah's personal purpose and how that has guided her career over the years. And if you've not yet thought about or written down your personal purpose, I have a feeling you will be doing so after this episode. Second, over Sarah's career at Starbucks, she has had the opportunity to hold a variety of positions that have helped her not only learn the business, but also learn the different specialties in HR. The best CHROs have this breadth and depth of experiences, and Sarah is no exception. Also, I'm a big fan of Starbucks. Yes, I love their caramel macchiatos. But more importantly, they're an organization that truly puts people first. Make sure you listen to the entire episode, and I am sure you're going to be feeling the same way. It was an absolute pleasure to spend time with Sarah, and I can tell you she is an amazing leader and human. And during our conversation, Sarah and I are going to discuss how her personal purpose has served as her North Star throughout her career, why she believes that putting people first is critical to business success, 
why she believes you should be open to new opportunities and the power of saying yes, how Starbucks co-created their new values with input from their partners, her advice to HR leaders who are updating their organization's values, and why co-creation and an effective listening strategy is helping them to evolve their industry-leading benefit offerings, and much more. Sarah, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, JP. It's great to be with you today. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. Not only are we going to hear a lot about your personal journey and career and how you are rethinking values at Starbucks, but honestly, I'm kind of geeking out a little bit because Starbucks is like one of my favorite brands on the planet. I've got my Starbucks drinks here, of course. I had to run out and get that before. And I want to start the conversation off with probably a hard-hitting question that never happens to you. And that's just, what is your go-to Starbucks coffee drink? I can't say favorite because you probably have thousands and hundreds of drinks, but the go-to drink for you. I love that question, Jay, because I love asking people what their favorite Starbucks drink is. It's a great conversation starter. And at Starbucks, we actually start our meetings with a ritual of the coffee tasting. And I had a mentor who once told me that When asked what their favorite coffee was, their response was always the coffee that I'm drinking with you in this moment, which I thought was a powerful response because it's about the importance of presence, I would say, and the role that coffee can play in connection and connecting over coffee. So my favorite coffee drink is a pistachio latte because that's what I'm drinking with you right now. If I were to brew a French press, I would say my favorite coffee is our Verona whole bean. I have a sweet tooth. It pairs great with chocolate, but it also, it was my first introduction to coffee when I started over 20 years ago in a store in Southern California with our management coach mentor. She introduced me to the ritual of coffee tasting. We did it over a French press of Verona and it became my favorite, which I've carried with me for the last 20 years. I love that story. And that's a great way to think about not only what your favorite coffee is, but even the favorite conversation you have. It reminds me of Peter Block was on the show and he talked about making an impact in that conversation at the moment, right? And living in the moment. So I love that. And frankly, there's very few Starbucks drinks I will not drink. All right, but let's get into a little more about your career because you've had this incredible career at Starbucks. Before I went really deep on that, I want to talk about what you call your personal purpose and that my understanding is five principles that you put together. And I'm not sure when you put this together, we want to know more about that. But what are these principles and how they help guide your career? One of the original reasons that attracted me to Starbucks was how it navigated through 9-11 and how it was apparent that they made decisions that put their partners and their customers first. I joined Starbucks a few months after 9-11, and I quickly found a strong passion for our partners and was inspired by how our partners were forging relationships in our stores with our customers each and every day. And that's what really led me to this career in HR. But it was in those early moments in my career that a leader had said to me, you're certainly not risk adverse. I have a high tolerance for risk, but there are always things that we should be unwilling to risk. When it comes back to our personal purpose and our mission, what are the things that we are unwilling to risk? So I did go through the exercise early in my career to really define what are the principles that I would never risk, no matter where my career may take me. The beauty of that is I've been able to spend over 20 years with Starbucks and never feel like I've had to compromise that personal purpose or those principles. And I keep them on a sticky note in my journal. I keep them on a sticky note on my desk. And inevitably, it starts with putting people first. Because at the end of the day, I think HR is about people. And it is about putting people first. And so I live by that principle every day. I'd also say it's about demonstrating vulnerability. 
I am a leader who shows up every day wanting to demonstrate vulnerability and show a growth mindset. We don't always get it right. As leaders, we don't always get it right. And I think it's incredibly important to demonstrate that vulnerability, to show that we don't always get it right and that we are learning and we learn from our mistakes. I would also say embracing, let's say differently, meaning is the end game. And so there has to be personal purpose and impact in the work that we are doing. And I've always focused on that. I would also say the other principle is seek change, not fame. It's people who put their personal pursuits ahead of the change and the impact that they can make for those around them is something that I certainly have held myself accountable to is really seeking change over any recognition, any kind of call it fame, but really recognition. It's about seeking change and the change and the impact that we can make every single day. At the heart of it, I think having those personal purposes or the personal principles enable you to really focus on seeking out roles and opportunities that will never compromise those personal principles, but enable you to grow, enable you to develop as an individual and as a leader. So I've carried those with me. And they're a good reminder, I think, of what I'm trying to seek every single day. I might not always get it right, but I think it's important to be able to ground and reflect back on those actually every day, but also throughout my career. What I think is so great about that is that it not only to help you get clear about what kind of organization you wanted to be with, but it starts helping you get clear about the impact that you're going to have on the team and the organization as well. And what really matters for you and what energizes you. And I love the seek the change, not the fame. Because I think that's so important. What we do for HR, we're not typically getting to get all the accolades. We're in the behind the scenes. The business leaders are hopefully getting those accolades and we're making sure things happen. And that's typically kind of that low ego and high humility is what really matters in our field. So I love that you've got that. It sounds like it served you very well. Let's talk about that 20-year Starbucks partner career. (laughs) And you spent your entire career at Starbucks, which I totally can understand because it is a great, great company. But you started as an HR coordinator supporting the retail business. Did you ever imagine, Sarah, that someday you'd be the chief partner officer for Starbucks? Never, never. And I will tell you, even when I joined Starbucks, I wasn't a coffee drinker. Back to that ritual of coffee tasting, I've found my way with my love of coffee and the connection that it can create. I shared a little bit about when I originally thought about joining Starbucks, it was right when 9-11 happened. And the reason that I chose Starbucks and the reason that I joined Starbucks, which goes back to this importance of a personal purpose, was I saw how Starbucks treated its partners and its customers in the wake of 9-11. The decisions that they made about closing stores, the decisions that they made to put partners and customers at the center. That's inevitably why I joined Starbucks just a few months after 9-11 and what's kept me here ever since. As I came in as an HR leader into the organization, as a coordinator supporting our retail organization, I saw that there were so many pathways for me to learn in the world of HR. And I learned quickly to be open to opportunity and the power of saying yes. And I'd say in every stage of my career at the company, my biggest moments of growth have come from when I ventured out of my comfort zone, whether it was a new subject area, or a new geography. After being a coordinator, I learned and really stayed focused on the HR generalist role through the lens of a retail business. After that, I moved to Seattle to support global functions. I had the opportunity to oversee HR for a merger and acquisition when we acquired Evolution Fresh, a juice company. So the early part of my career was really about the fundamentals of HR, but I embraced the unknown to explore what I was passionate about and was open to new skills and experiences, which I think is what has led me to the role and be better prepared for the role of CPO. And I learned from supporting 
different areas of the business, the power of our business. It's in our partners. It's in our people, whether they're in the stores, whether they're in a plant, the office, or even a juicery of one part of my career. It's all about the partners and they are at the center of our flywheel. Because if we exceed the expectations of our partners, we do believe we'll exceed the expectations of our customer and that we'll deliver results for our shareholders. And so being in HR with the center of that flywheel and enabled me to continue to find ways that I could grow and contribute and then prepare myself for the role that I'm in today. But to your question, JP, did I ever see myself in this role? I would certainly say no, unequivocally no. I did not see myself in this role, but I feel more prepared for this role on the basis of the different challenges and opportunities that I took on over the course of my career at Starbucks. Well, I'm glad you didn't say yes, of course, I knew that would happen, right? Because if it's such a big leap when you're an HR coordinator starting a career at a company. It's hard to know that you'll spend 20 years, have all these experiences. But what's really clear to me, Sarah, is the common thread is the curiosity and the humility of the continuing to learn and grow. And I do think Starbucks, and this is one reason why I've always loved Starbucks too, is that I think you do put people first. And it's always been a people first organization. And I think you can still feel that in the stores today. It's never gone away. And so that is just critical and obviously part of your personal purpose. But that curiosity did lead you some pretty cool experiences. And so I want to talk about later in your career, you took a four-year assignment, not a four-month assignment. This was not a vacation. This was a four-year assignment leading partner resources for Asia Pacific at the Hong Kong office. Tell us more about how this opportunity came about and what you learned in this role. Well, I'd start with, I learned about the fact that timing is never right to take a new opportunity and sometimes a leap of faith. If it scares you, it's the right decision because that's when you grow the most. I had two young children when this opportunity came up. So it was something that did scare me. And actually, I eventually had a third child in Hong Kong. So in a different country, I didn't know the language and we moved our entire family there. So it was a daunting prospect, but it ended up being one of the most formative experiences of my entire career and for my family. Often people ask me on a scale of one to 10, how was your time in Asia? And I say a 12. On a personal front, I had to relearn so much. Everything from having to rebuild a network. My network was very US-centric, very US-based. And I had to rebuild a network that was global, truly global. I also had to relearn how to do simple tasks like paying the gas bill. And so taking myself out of my comfort zone, relearning simple tasks, pushed my growth mindset to really new levels. And on the work front, I learned so much about how the power of the green apron for Starbucks and how the partner experience transcends cultures. And for any company, I think what I saw was that it really is about being founded in a common belief. For us, it's our shared purpose. It's anchored in our mission and values. But you can translate that across culture and across experiences and really across the globe. I focused on forging relationships and fostering relationships with our international licensees in each one of the markets across Asia, but it was grounded in a common belief system, which really supported and fostered my ability to create those relationships, but then create impact and change. I'd also say I found my voice and my passion when it comes to equal opportunities for women. And what I found in APAC was that gender equality was an opportunity that transcends markets and culture. So for me, it was the fostering of this passion for equity and inclusion. I became an executive sponsor and advocate for our employee resource group for women, which we call the Women's Impact Network. And I really focused on how do we make change? How do we foster the opportunity for women 
from an equality, from an inclusion, from an advanced perspective across Asia. So that was a critical passion also over the course of those four years. After four years, which is a pretty good assignment, and Sarah, the research on getting back from global assignments sometimes is very tough. So obviously you were a high potential and made people made it happen because that getting expat back in the organization, finding the right role can be difficult. But obviously they brought you back to Seattle. And over the course of the next three and a half years, you had two roles, one focused on organization and leadership effectiveness and one around the talent and partner experience before you became the chief partner officer. Just talk a little bit about how that kind of rounded you out, prepared you for the, the role you're in today. Yeah, JP, when I came back to the States in 2019, I returned to a new environment than when I had left for Hong Kong. We had a new CEO, a new leadership team, and all around I needed to acclimate back to the U.S. business. I think you're absolutely right. In many ways, repatriating can be more difficult than expatriating because things that you thought you remembered are no longer, may no longer be true or no longer the same. You have to reacclimate, rebuild your understanding back into the business. Things are different. Things have changed. You have to build new relationships because there's no new leaders potentially at the table. Oftentimes, I think people underestimate how difficult repatriating can be because things will not be the way that they were when you left. What's interesting also is I came back in this organ leadership effectiveness role And just as I was getting my footing back, the pandemic hit. Our entire system of norms, where we work, was flipped upside down for all of us. For us, from a business perspective, we had to move very quickly to ensure we were set up to support our partners and to support our business. I was continually inspired, I'd say, by how we focused on three grounding principles. I think principles are incredibly important to guide decision making. And if you don't have principles, I think it can be very difficult or sometimes distracting the decisions that you're making because they're not grounded back on core principles across the business. For us, we anchored on three key principles as we entered into the pandemic. The first was prioritizing the health and well-being of our partners and customers. The second was playing a constructive role in supporting health and government officials as they work to mitigate the spread of the virus. And the third was showing up in a positive and responsible way to serve our communities. And so that gave me principles and passion to be able to come in and do work and support a team around the cultural pieces of a transition in COVID, both into a fully remote work environment for our support partners, and then how we stayed in support of our retail partners each and every day that we're serving our customers in our stores. I think what I look back on and reflect on is it's really the cultural components. I think we pride ourselves on how we kept the culture alive, even when we were not always physically connected, as well as providing executive counsel and leadership that was a core role for me to our senior leaders in a massive time of change, really massive time of change. Then later on, from the organ leadership effectiveness role, I moved into a new role as SVP of talent and partner experience, which continued to carry forward those organ leadership effectiveness responsibilities, but then really expand the role to be inclusive of many of our COEs and our COE teams and help really influence, align, coordinate, and execute across the enterprise with a specific focus on global partnerships. And it was that role where I learned more about how to bring teams together to find synergies across the work, this product orientation of the work, a more seamless work product or product orientation across teams to influence and bring our COE teams together and bring our leaders along. And I was able to think really more critically also about the partnership with IND 
and how driving systemic change for the future is about removing bias. And it all starts with talent. How we remove bias in our talent practices, how we think about systemic change through our talent practices was something that I was intimately focused on in that role specifically. And I think those three years, back to your question about how to prepare or what prepared me for CPO, I think those three years were a roller coaster as they were for all of us. But it was the unexpected where I grew the most, staying grounded in the purpose, having principles that fueled our decision making, and really this focus or resolve for our partners to show up for them so that they could show up for our customers and communities, which made me even more passionate about being CPO for Starbucks when the time came. Well, it's an incredible three-year journey. I think your passion for learning and continuing to adapt and putting people first just comes through. And one of the things I've said a lot is that one of the most overlooked job opportunities is your current role, right? And especially in the right kind of organization like Starbucks, because going to Asia Pac, coming back, having the global experience, understanding the retail business at your core, that makes you real prepared to be the CPO. What we talked a lot about, Sarah, today is that, of course, Starbucks is a mission-driven company. And the values are really integral to how you operate. We've talked about that a lot today, which is obvious. But you just announced that you've updated your values to craft, courage, results, belonging, and joy. Tell us more about why you decided now was the time to update your values. Over the years, I'd say we've continually looked at how we can recast our mission our principles to adapt to changing needs of our partners, the business, and certainly, I would say, the world. When Lakshman Narasimhan came in and was hired as our new CEO, we were incredibly intentional with his immersion to be six months in stores, to really fully grasp the experience of Starbucks, to understand the experience of our partners and how they create the connection with our customers. From his experience, Lakshman found three things to be true. And he summarized this in some of our past earnings calls or open forums. But what he said is, Starbucks is in the business of human connection. And the world needs us more than ever. As we've come out of the pandemic and we've seen an epidemic of loneliness, the opportunity for human connection is essential. Also, our performance is strong, but our health needed to be stronger. We've talked about that. We've not always made the right decisions. And I think we are learning and we are growing from those decisions. And how do we continue to build our health as a company in support of our partners, in support of our customers, in support of our shareholders? We will always strive to be a different kind of company, but we have to recognize that we are now operating in a different kind of world. Driving to be a different kind of company today means something different than it did a decade ago or two decades ago. So this was really our call to action, really set the stage for how do we think about in this moment of time, in this time of refounding, we called it our refounding, what is the role that values play? Because values, they're what should define what we live as a company every single day. But it also should be a continuation of our heritage, our true north. That was what was the impetus, if you will, for why we decided that this was the right moment to update our values as a company. Well, I think it's so great because a lot of companies, a lot of times maybe assume that things are status quo. Like, oh, Starbucks is great. It's doing well. A lot of iconic companies. But the reality is our cultures are either moving forward or moving backward. We're never stagnant. And there are times and reflection points where you have to now take that next shot, right? And really shift the culture to where you need to go because the world's changing, like you said. 
And then five years from now, Starbucks will be a different company and has to keep up with what's happening. So I think it's terrific that you did that and you're willing to talk more about that because a lot of organizations need to assess this. And there's different ways to create that change, but values is a very, very principle-driven way to start to get people on the same page around how you align and what good looks like and what we're trying to do and how you bring human connection to the, the forefront. Can you talk a little more about the process you went through, though, to update your values? Because I'm sure people are going to be excited to hear a little bit more about that. One of the things that has been core for us at Starbucks is co-creation with our partners. Leaning into this concept of co-creation, we knew early on that our values needed to be representative of our partners, by partners, for partners, and making sure that their voice was what was influencing and shaping those values. We workshopped them for months across all aspects of the business, from retail with our baristas and store managers to support partners in the office to our farmers on Hacienda Alsacia or across the globe to our partners in our manufacturing and distribution plants. They were all able to give us their input on what represented Starbucks to them and what it means to them to be a Starbucks partner. We ended up with a first set, and then we came back again and had partners try them on for themselves. We like to say, see how these fit. Try them on and see how they fit for you. And then we revved on them until we felt right. And it took multiple combinations and many different iterations to get to a point where our partners felt like it represented what it meant to them and that it was reflective of all of our partners across the globe in all of those different communities. I do feel like through that process, we were able to really reflect the partner experience because it's derived from their word. It's the words of our partners, their everyday lives, and it's what it means also to be a leader at Starbucks and a partner at Starbucks. The co-creation is so important in culture and especially in an organization that's putting people first like Starbucks. How many partners do you have now? 450,000 across the globe. Okay. So 450,000 opinions, right? And it's not easy to get everyone in there and get that involved, but to use the partner's words, whether or not every partner actually gave input or not, because it's almost impossible to make that happen. I'm sure you tried. That is so important, though, to use their own words and come back and, and not be a top-down driven exercise. That here's the edict, these are our values, because the executive team got together. And you see that sometimes, and that's just the wrong way to go. But I'm curious, Sarah, like, I'm sure you have a favorite value, but are there ones that you're more partial to? I know it's like picking your favorite child, but are there ones you want to call out that resonates more with you or maybe the people team? You are so right. It is like picking a favorite child, especially with the work that went into it with our partners and really supporting them and shaping these values. I'm passionate about all of them. But if there was one that I had to choose, I would say belonging. For me, belonging serves as the foundation for all of the values. Without an environment of belonging, when everybody cannot feel recognized for who they are, we do not get their full selves. We do not enable them to bring their best to work, their best self to work. And this will impact the ability to develop craft or to deliver results or to show up every day with courage or to bring joy. So I do believe that belonging really is the foundation for all of the values and creates the foundation for all of the values. So if I were to pick one, I'd say that's the one I'm most passionate about. I love that. Belonging will build from there. I agree with you. That's great. I do love craft. I think it's a little bit different than what you might always typically have seen or heard. But I think that just shows the high bar and the quality of what Starbucks is all about. So I love that that's in there as well. So that one at least grabbed me. Sometimes you can look at values for a company. And the question is, if you had 
cover that logo up and look at those values. Do you know the company? And I think that's sort of the test of a good logo or a good tagline. And I think craft and courage and belong and joy mm-hmm. kind of make it feel like it's Starbucks. Like this isn't another company I will not mention or whoever company's competitor, but it feels like Starbucks when I hear that. I love that, JP, because craft was one that all of our partners felt very passionately about. Our braces and our stores felt passionately about their craft that they bring every day to every handcrafted beverage that they make for our customers that uplifts the everyday for our customers. And if you came into the offices, partners in accounting felt passion for their craft or in equipment felt passionately about their craft. So it didn't matter where you went within the organization. Our partners felt passionately about craft, refining and developing their craft and what they're bringing to the business each and every day. So I love that it was very specific to our partners. It was their language and something that no matter which cohort or community you were speaking to was something that they were equally passionate about. Well, well done on crafts. Sarah, what advice do you have for HR leaders who are about to embark on updating their values? Any lessons learned? I would say listen to your employees. Listen to them on what the company and their jobs mean to them. Find ways to co-create. Be highly transparent through the process. You said it, JP, this work is more important than ever as talent will prioritize companies whose mission and whose values align to their personal values. So they're going to seek companies with values that they can see themselves within. So it's so critical that the values are emblematic or representative of their voice. That's great advice. Another thing I know you're pretty passionate about is creating pathways to a better future, but not just the best job, but the best career for all partners, all green aprons. And tell us more about how Starbucks is trying to create pathways for a better future, because I think you've always been pioneering in this space, frankly. So I'd love to hear what you're trying to do next. Part of our refounding was identifying and developing a new mission, the values that we just talked about, but also a set of promises for all of our stakeholders. So we did introduce six new promises. One of them is the partner promise. And we have shared that at our best, we are seeking to build a bridge to a better future for all of our partners. This is really a aspirational statement that at our best, this is what we are doing each and every day. And so what we show up as HR professionals is seeking to support our partners in bridging to a better future. And for me, that means creating pathways to not just the best job, but the best career for all partners, but especially for our Green Apron partners. And a huge part of who we have always been is innovating and offering industry-leading benefits. So one of the I'd say core principles associated with building a bridge to a better future for us at Starbucks is industry-leading benefits and making sure that our partners have access to the benefits that they need, which continue to evolve on the basis of how the world changes and how their needs change. This started back in the early 1990s with healthcare for us for part-time workers and Beanstalk grants, grants for our partners as well. And over the last 30 years or so, benefits have always been that bedrock from overall healthcare to wellness. And we are now talking about physical, mental, and financial wellness, that a better future needs to have stability in in kind of all three of these. When we think about physical wellness for us, this has come to life through our standard healthcare plans that our partners who work 20 or more hours are eligible for, but it doesn't just end there. This also includes benefits for family expansion or gender-affirming care 
again, to really address what matters most to our partners and what are the health care or the wellness care that they need. Mental wellness is also really important to us. And I think more important than ever, especially in a post-pandemic world with continuing pressure around the globe. So we've implemented a program with Lyra to offer our partners and their family access to free therapy and partners a free subscription to Headspace to continue to advance in the mental wellness space and provide our partners with additional support. We also know that every one of our partners has very busy lives and they wear many different hats. One of the things that we've been looking at is also the different services that can meet their needs and their evolving needs. One of those is backup care benefit to get childcare or adult care, senior care planning services, or a free premium membership to care.com. The last thing I would say that to round out between physical wellness, mental wellness is also financial wellness, which has always been top of mind as we think about our retail partners. It is one of the reasons that we call ourselves partners actually is because of Beanstalk, which we introduced in 1991 to give partners equity in the company. And while company stock plans were not kind of unusual at the time, the idea of sharing the value of the company with part-time partners was unusual especially in the retail industry. Beanstalk has given our employees the opportunity to kind of own a piece of the company, also be partners in the company, but it's also enabled them to buy cars, buy homes, and use that as an investment into their future. We also offer 401k plans with a Starbucks match, and we just unveiled a new plan recently called Starbucks Savings, which is geared to help partners prepare for the unexpected and save money for an emergency. Plus, get rewarded, actually, for doing so. And we also just announced this last November what we're calling the Siren Card, which is a partnership with CredAI that enables our partners to safely build their credit score with a mobile account. And inevitably, credit is so critical, and it's so critical for our partners to be able to rent an apartment or get a car or get a lease. Building credit is, is something that we know is important to them, something that they shared with us. We wanted to offer them a way to safely build their credit score automatically. One of the things too, JP, that I'd share that I won't say most proud of, but it's certainly something I am very proud of is the Starbucks College Achievement Program, which in partnership with Arizona State University allows us to offer eligible U.S. partners working part-time or full-time the ability to receive 100% upfront tuition coverage for a first-time bachelor's degree. So Again, 100% everything paid, 100% all upfront, no strings attached, and they can get a four-year college degree. That's something that I'm really proud of. And to be able to go to graduation last December or in May, we, we go to graduation just to celebrate this with our partners. And we've had more than 12,000 grads since its inception back in 2014. We've got 25,000 partners currently participating and we really are looking at how do we continue to expand that, thinking about also offering credentialing and upskilling opportunities, because not everybody wants a four-year college degree. How do we think about meeting our partners in the moment with the way that they want to continue to learn, to grow, and to develop, and to meet the best career, to support them in achieving their best career that's specific to them? So we're working on these certifications and credentialing programs now. We've announced that to our partners and more to come in that space specifically. But I think it's also back to listening and co-creating with our partners. Our partners continue to tell us what matters most to them, how we can continue to innovate our benefits 
to be able to bridge to a better future for them? What would be the most meaningful investments for them specifically? And so that's how we continue to advance our, be it wellness, be it mental, be it financial wellness, and how we continue to advance those programs in support of our partners. Sarah, it's quite a list of benefits that Starbucks is doing. And I think it just really, to me, underlines the point that when we think about Starbucks, it's not just because you have the best coffee or great marketing or great branding or created a third place. It's even vested in your people for 30 plus years. You've pioneered that. And frankly, there's very few companies that have taken the partner and put them really at the core like Starbucks. And that's why I've always been impressed with Starbucks because it's real. You put your money where your mouth is. And people listening saying, look, my company's not Starbucks. We don't have the margin. We can't do this. It's not built in the business model because a lot of companies, frankly, could do this. They just don't. Because when they start the business, they didn't build the business model this way. And I think Howard Schultz did it differently. And Starbucks has always thought differently about how we do it. However, my point of this would say, I think your key piece of co-creating, like talking to your partners, your team members, what really matters and kind of doing conjoint analysis, figuring out like what really matters, like what's going to move the needle, even if it's small, will make a huge difference, right? But I just think that's what makes Starbucks so different. And it's obviously put people first. So it's wonderful. JB, I love that you talked about a conjoint analysis because we actually just did a conjoint analysis or a discrete choice analysis to help inform our most recent round of investments. And through that, what our partners identified would matter most to them was accelerated paid time off. So previously, our baristas and our partners in our stores had to wait 12 months to get access to paid time off. And they told us what would matter most is to accelerate that to three months. And so we made that announcement back on November 6th to accelerate paid time off so they have access to it now after 90 days of employment. And that was what they told us through that discrete choice would matter most to them. I love that you brought that up because I think there are ways and through different tools that we can listen to our employees and make decisions and prioritize investments that are going to matter most to them. We got a little geeky with the conjoint analysis. That's the IO psych and the PhD coming out. So Sarah, we've come to the end of the interview where I asked the tough question, which is what is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? One word or phrase that is very difficult, JP. I'm going to say productizing HR. I think productizing HR is the future. I have the benefit of working in partnership with a peer who's leading our transformation and helping us institutionalize a product mindset across the organization, including that for partner. And I'd say the future is that product management mindset and taking that product management mindset through HR services and addressing the need state of the employee experience with the business needs in mind, but to think about product ownership across COEs. What we've talked about throughout the day with co-creation is, or even the investments that Starbucks has made, is in products that are meeting the needs of our partners. But we're taking that product management mindset and that product approach to HR, which I really think is the future. So I'm going to say productizing HR. I love that, taking an agile product management-centric view of how we bring that to life. Sarah, that is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for putting people first and all you do and joining the podcast today. It was a great conversation. Thank you, JP. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Sarah for sharing her personal purpose and how Starbucks is putting their people first through their values and daily actions. 
As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share our podcast with at least one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. And also, I'd love to hear from you as well. So feel free to drop me a line on LinkedIn and let me know if you have ideas on how to make the future of HR even better. We'll be back next week with Wagner Dinozo. Wagner is a future of work expert, executive coach, and HR startup advisor. And he's also the author of a new book, Leading to Succeed, Essential Skills for the New Workplace. In his new book, he makes the case for how we work, develop the next generation, and lead must change to meet the future of work. This will be Wagner's second time in the podcast as he previously joined us in episode 49 and shared his wisdom around clarity creating capacity. This was a very popular episode and Wagner delivered once again. You won't want to miss this conversation with Wagner. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.